You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. When a virus finds its way into our bodies, our immune system unleashes an attack. It puts up a good fight and then stands down. That's what it's supposed to do. Sometimes the system works so hard that it goes completely off the rails. Immune cells start attacking healthy tissues. They flood the lungs, clot the blood, cause vessels to leak. It's called the cytokine storm, and it takes a miracle to stop it. So, hi, um, I'm Dr. Renzo Alessandrini, and um, unfortunately, the uh, nasty little coronavirus decided to turn and attack Janine, I think it was in December last year. Um, I remember Pastor Alan calling me and telling me that he was very concerned because she was not in a good state. He mentioned a few symptoms and her oxygen sats and uh, I immediately suggested that she be admitted. Um, They had to sit, if I remember correctly, in an ambulance outside the emergency department because the emergency department at Vergelegen Mediclinic was so busy and there were no beds available. And that was nerve-wracking. And uh, Dr. Jackie Prim, she was very helpful. She went out and saw mommy, uh, Janine, and uh, managed to arrange a bed for her. I remember her, um, Dr. Jackie, phoning me and, and giving me a few of the vitals that had been taken at the time and I thought that was the last time I had heard from Janine, unfortunately. Her kidney function was uh, nerve-wracking. Her inflammatory markers were the highest I'd ever seen them. Um, She actually sent me copies of the tests at the time, I remember, and I I went to Denise, my wife, and said to her, I think we're going to lose Janine. was a nerve-wracking time. Um, We all obviously prayed and uh, tried to stay in contact with the doctors there and with Pastor Alan who kept me informed on a regular basis on how things were going with Janine and uh, it, it seemed to very slowly but surely improve all the time and I always recall um Pastor Alan saying that she's going to get better, God is going to make her better. And uh, if ever there was a testimony to life that God does help um, when required, this was it. Because uh, I have uh, seen some patients um, who weren't half or a third as bad as Janine was with her um, inflammatory markers and kidney function and they definitely didn't make the COVID illness. They didn't survive the COVID illness. So this was an absolute miracle and uh, it's an absolute testimony to the presence and willingness of God to help when required. I certainly believe that the doctors played a a fairly good role, but uh, if anybody helped, it was the man above. Amen. 
Glory to God. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. John writes and he says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, now who's that? That's the enemy, that's Satan. The accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. They did not love their lives to the death. What's he saying there? Family of God, while we're on this earth, the Bible talks about the time that we're alive here as a vapor. It's but a moment in eternity. Uh, if you remember as you were born, can you remember the day, your first day in the crib? The second day? The third day? How about a month old? Can you remember that? But it happened. It was a moment in your adult life and your first memory. I mean, if you think about your first memories, they're significant moments. Think in eternity. When we are a million, billion, trillion, gazillion years from now in heaven where there's no longer time, we're going to think back to, remember that time on earth? And there may be a few memories, but it's just a moment. We're not afraid of leaving this planet. Because we know we have an eternity in heaven. Fear will not take us. But while we're on this earth, we have an assignment. And we need to complete that assignment. And we need to be healthy to complete that assignment. We need to be provided for to complete that assignment. We will complete the assignment before our time on this earth is done. And so God has ordained through His death and resurrection of His Son, to pay the price for each one of us to walk in the fullness of what God has called us to do. Every single one of us sitting here today has been put on this planet for a reason. No one is here by accident. I don't care what your parents told you. If someone said, you, you, you were an accident. No, you surprised your parents. But you are here sent by God. And every one of us have a testimony. Tonight, we are here to tell you our testimony. And just to put it in context, first of all, remember, all Scripture is given for instruction, reproof, correction, never condemnation. Never condemnation. We will say some things and we will say them strong. But if somebody didn't do it, doesn't mean there's something wrong. I did stupid things in my Christian life and then I learned better later on. Uh, if we're going to tell you what we did, it's our story. Sometimes people say, yeah, but how about this one and, and that one? And, and I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. I can speak for my story. We can speak for our story. You can speak for your story. You see, you can explain something to someone and they can say, well, I don't see it that way. I don't agree. But your testimony, no one can take that from you. What God has done in your life, you know exactly how it went down, and you know why it happened. And when you do it to give God glory, it silences Satan. It's what overcomes the devil. The blood of the Lamb 
and what God has done in your life. And so tonight we share this testimony. Number one reason is to give God glory, to give Him honor, to give Him praise. Because it truly is a miracle, and you will see it as the night goes through. Number two, it's to give honor to honor where honor is due to those that helped us get through it. And we're part of the team because God always works through people. And we need to understand that. And then number three, it's to remember that there are those that still need to hear the word. There's a hope that we can all grasp for. Many of us are going to face challenges, but if you've heard the word spoken of someone who applied that word and saw the success, then you know you can enjoy it as well. And so we will be sharing our testimony, and of course, when it comes to the word of God, we'll be speaking as pastors and teachers of the word. Occasionally, we're going to be talking about medical terms, and there, you know, I've got the doctors in their rooms. And so doctors, I'm going to be speaking from a layman's perspective. We're going to mention a few things. So if we slip up on the, the technical <laughs> side, we'll leave that up to you. If we put them in the video just to fix anything we might say. But please excuse us because all we know is the way it, we saw it from our perspective. But here's the truth is God is the healer. God is the healer. And we want you to hear the word. And know our journey so that you can also understand. Sometimes you hear, you know, a preacher gets up and I have this problem. Boom, God healed it. And you don't realize there was a journey there. And then you wonder, Am I, is there something wrong with me? I'm, I'm, I'm really having a hard time getting through this journey. But we want to share that with you so that it can encourage you as well. Amen. Amen. On the 14th of December... Janine was diagnosed with COVID-19. And we knew the word of God. We immediately stood in faith with that word. But for some reason, it accelerated very quickly in Janine's body. And so, of course, we separated. We had to uh, distance. And so, Janine, I gave her the main room. She slept in our bed. And I slept in my daughter, Brittany, who's now married, and she's moved out the house, but her bed was still in her room there, so I went to go sleep there. But sleep wasn't the right word, because I was aware Janine was in the next room, and I could hear her breathing was getting very, very shallow. And it got to a point where every breath was, was like maybe an eighth of a normal breath, but she would make a noise with it. It would be, and I could hear that. And so I was just listening and I was lying in the bed just praying in tongues, thanking God for a healing. And somewhere I must have dozed off because when I woke up, I was aware that I couldn't hear that anymore. So I'm listening to make sure that she's still breathing. And next moment I heard a crash in our bedroom. I ran through to the bedroom and Janine was lying on the other side, so if you can imagine her side of the bed, from her side there's a very short walk to the bathroom, but she was on the other side of our living, of our dressing room, lying on the floor. And so I ran to get to her and I picked her up, and as I picked her up, she just looked straight through me. It's like she wasn't even there. Her body was limp, could hardly get her to stand, sat her down on the bed, and she was really struggling to breathe. And I said to her, darling, you need to take a deep breath here. 
and I'm praying, speaking the word over her, but I need to get her to breathe. And she would breathe just like on just on the top. Just you can imagine the air just going into just into her, the top epiglottis, just into her lungs. And I realized you have to take a deep breath. And then I realized that she's in stress here, that this is very serious. And I said to her, if you don't take a deep breath, we may, we may have to take you to hospital. And she said, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to the hospital. I said, that's where we're at. You need to take that breath. And so she put everything into it and said, okay. And she took a deep breath. And her deep breath was, <clears throat> I said, deeper. She says, I am. <laughs> I realized we, this, this is, we're in trouble here. And that's where I called Dr. Renzo. And he said, you need to get Janine to hospital as soon as possible. So I was getting ready to drive her. I was saying, let's get you dressed and get going. And I couldn't even get her to walk. I couldn't pick her up. I couldn't carry her. So I got a hold of Dr. Enzo again. He said, well, then we need to organize an ambulance. And I said, well, you know, where do we go from here? Well, I've never done that before. He said, don't worry, he'll sort it out. And before I knew it, I was still busy talking to Jean. There, the ambulance had arrived. But just for me to speak into this, I knew none of this was happening. I was not aware of anything happening around me. And so the ambulance arrived and started treating Janine. And so they're on the radio and they're trying to find a bed. And at that time, it was in December, uh, the hospitals were overrun at the time. And they couldn't find a bed anywhere in Cape Town. And they were talking about, I can't remember where it was, it was far away. And um, so I got hold of Dr. Renzo. He said, no, no, he'll, he'll, he'll talk to uh, Dr. Jackie and uh, see if we can get your bed at, at, at Fagelichen. So he called back. He said, okay, we've got a bed. But the ambulance driver, he's, he's saying, but I, they, they're telling me when he radios, there is no bed. I said, but we, 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 we got company. We, we got people. There's, there's a bed. Now, I'm praying for favor because you can go. If there's no bed, there's no bed. And so we trust in God for favor here. Yes, we're not there yet. Okay. <laughs> we're, just, we're still in the bedroom. I'm not there yet. <laughs> and so eventually I, I said to the, the ambulance driver, I said, listen, so he gets on the radio and they, they talk, talk, talk. He comes back and says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm obligated to find your bed, and I will get you into a bed. But if I take you to Fagelechen, it's on them. And from there, they handle it. I said, I can live with that. Let's go. And so we went down, and we got to the hospital. And they pulled up into the hospital, you know, the ambulance driveway. And I had to go check Janine in to the hospital. And so as I went around, the grass outside the entrance foyer was full of people, packed. The people sitting on the grass, on the wall, down the side, and people were coughing, and they, they couldn't get in. So I went up to the door, and now I want you to watch all the way through. I'm, you're going to have to realize miracle after miracle, just favor. I walked to the front door, and there's no one at the door. You're supposed to sign in, get your temperature, whatever. And I thought, look, and I still waited. There's no one here. But the reception's right there. And I saw the guy, and I waved at him, and he said, come. So I 
quickly washed my hands and did the, the, the temperature I did my own there. And I went to him. We checked Janine in, and he said, look, there's no beds here. But we'll, I said, well, if the ambulance said I must come check her in. I said, okay, checked her in. Doctor came through, uh, or nurse or somebody that said, okay, they've got the, 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 the information. But uh, we're going to have to wait a while. So I said, okay. So they said they'll come call me. So I'm sitting in the reception room, and no one's coming. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go check. I went back, and Janine was still in the ambulance. And a lady had come out and was talking to them. And they said, we just, if we can hang on here, we'll see what we can do. And so I went back to reception to go and make sure that everything's happening on that side. And they blocked me. No one was allowed in the hospital because there was all these people waiting to get in and there were no beds anywhere. And I said, but I'm already checked in. I just no, no one is allowed in. So you understand the fact that I got in the first time was thanks to God. And so I went back and I'm sitting in the hospital, uh, in, in the ambulance. We sat there almost half an hour and Janine was, uh, I tell you, I just, that's where you have to really just take hold of fear. Because it'll try and take you out. And I'm just praying in tongues there saying, Father, thank you. I believe Janine's well. You'll keep her, look after her. Half an hour we sat there. And eventually, somebody came out and said, the last bed, the last non-COVID bed, just became available in ICU. They moved them into high care, and Janine gets the last bed, and now the ward, the ICU ward's officially a COVID ward. And then they wheeled Janine in, and... Knowing what we know, as pastors, what we've been through with so many different people, to watch your wife wield away, and everything in you wants to scream and shout and just break down. But you know, the next words out of your mouth, family of God, you've got to hear me tonight. You'll hear it again and again. When the enemy comes, what comes out your mouth next is critical. I had to look at my wife and say, I will see you again. They wouldn't even let me go in with her. And you watch her wheeled away, and I'm standing there praising God. She is coming out in the name of Jesus. From that moment on, she was in other people's hands. You can only go so far in the natural. You stand in faith. But we have to trust God and His process. Amen. I want you to watch the great people that were part of Janine's team. Janine's initial problem was that she came in with a diabetes emergency. Um, if you get COVID, it puts stress on your body and your body can't use glucose anymore. So your glucose becomes really, really high. And then you switch um, to a different metabolism. Um, you start using ketones as fuel. Problem is that ketones makes your blood quite acidic. So for you, in order for you to get rid 
of the acid in your blood, you have to breathe really fast. You know, similarly, when you would run a marathon and, and you would become very short of breath, that's because of the acid that your body is getting rid of. Now I can understand if you have COVID pneumonia, already damaged lungs, and on top of that, you are now experiencing a ketoacidosis that you are in quite a bit of trouble. So you really, really have to work very hard to get rid of the acid, but also have to work really, really hard to get your oxygen levels up. And of course, um, to breathe takes up oxygen as well, especially if you have to breathe very fast and very deep. So we were able to manage the diabetes emergency within a day or two, that settled very nicely. But then we realized that Janine's pneumonia was progressing. She needed more and more oxygen. Um, she really needed a lot of support um, in terms of her breathing to keep her oxygen um, levels up. Um, so much so that we got to the point where we had to talk about ventilation. Intubation, ventilation. Zij was baie siek gewees, toe sy by ons uitgekom het. Um, as saturaties was baie laag, sy was kort asem, sy was dier mekaar. Ek kan nog die groot oe van haar onthou met die blauw lippe. Maar sy het geweier om geventileer te word. En alhoewel het so laag was, vir daardie type patiënt sy ons lang al geintubeer, ge, um, geintubeer het en op een ventilator gesit het. Maar sy het net aan een weier. Sy um, is een baie hardkoppige vrou en het haar eie wil hoe sy ding gedoen wil heen. Janine, however, decided she did not want to be intubated. She did not want to be ventilated. She saw what happened to patients that were intubated and ventilated and made a decision of faith not to go for intubation and ventilation, although that was what we felt was best at the time um, for her. Sy so enig iets in haar vermoe gedoen het, om te bly lewe. Sy was een positieve mens gewees, wat net gesê het, sy gaan lewe en sy gaan nie so uitkom. So, we persisted with the high flow oxygen. Now, you have to understand, if you are battling to breathe, it is like running a marathon. And we've all been there. You run a race and you feel you cannot carry on and eventually give up. You say, I'm going to start walking or I'm just going to stop participating in this race. And this is what a person that has respiratory problems goes through 24 hours a day for many, many days. That feeling, I just have to go on, I just have to go on. But your body is telling you, you have to stop, you have to stop. And you have to battle that in your mind the whole time, that continuous feeling, I, I'm not getting enough breathing. It is too hard work to, to breathe. But, but Janine persisted, she persisted. And we eventually were able, after some weeks in ICU, to get her off the high flow oxygen. And she was doing um, very well, but still needed a very high concentration of continual oxygen support. At this point, I'd just like to say that even though she was so sick and, and um, really faced with her own vulnerabilities, she was always, always polite, always friendly, always willing, always smiling. Um, she was really, she was really a go-getter and a very brave girl. And she had a lot of geestelike leaders geluister and then she had a few times with the most awesome that she had, she sang with the leaders. When I entered her room, she was very friendly, but she was very quiet. So you could see she was fighting the fight. She was determined, she was very brave, and like Adele explained, 
One of the one of the things that we do with treatment is we, we try to help them move. You need to keep on moving, you need to keep the lungs um, filling up, breathing deeper, keep the, the breathing muscles strong, keep the diaphragm strong to make sure that it doesn't get too lazy. Then in the end we have bigger problems coming. She was very brave and she was determined to sit out into the chair. It wasn't all, all bad, it was actually we had some fun moments and we had times when we laughed. It was always a pleasure to see her. She's motivated, brave and strong uh, through a time that was really very trying and very traumatic. Um, and of course there were, it's always past Alan's um, video calls in the morning that we all got our dose of encouragement from if we happen to be close enough to hear. <laughs> and in ICU I'm afraid there's no privacy so we heard. <laughs> and um, so we got to get encouraged along with that and if I can just share this one little snippet, he sent her a bouquet of flowers the one day on the ward in the ICU, we're not allowed flowers. And I was like, oh, well, he sent us flowers. <laughs> <laughs> and she just laughed at me because we were so, um, it's so dull and drab in the clinical and especially the ICU COVID environment where there's nothing pretty to look at. Mm -hmm. And then these flowers arrived and I was like, oh, my goodness, they're so beautiful. So eventually Janine persisted in her, her rehabilitation and she got off the oxygen. Um, I saw for follow-up and I was, I was amazed, I was surprised uh, at seeing how well she was doing coping with our, without oxygen. And I think what's, what hit me there with her was from the beginning she, she saw a bigger picture. You know, I, I work with quite a few of the COVID patients when they come home and it's just like they want to be better yesterday and, and there's a big rush and there's a lot of pressure on the situation. And Janine just had such a trust in, in the process and, and patience that I sort of took that with me from this journey. Of just, she knew there'd be a good outcome at the end and she was willing to take the time that it needed to make sure that it happened um, gradually and without all two steps forward, one step back. And I think that's, that really, I never had any, you know, she never really had any setbacks. And I think that's really down to her trust in, in, in the Lord and, and in the whole process that she, that she was going through. Ons is bevoorrecht om met haar te gewerk het, want dit is die een persoon wat ek nie gedink het al gaan uitstap nie. Sy was so siek en so gesikkel om alles om te kry, maar ek dink dit is al die gebede van al die mense en al die kerksmense en al haar vriende en selfs haar geloof en haar positiviteit wat daar doorgedraad. It's an absolute privilege to have been a part of this journey with her. She really is, I, I really admire the, the faith that she had and the patience that she had, and um, yeah, I feel really blessed. In the ICU, leef jy dag vir dag, en elke dag was a wonderwerk gewees. In die dag, toe sy daar uit is, toe die trane oor allemaal sy wange gevloei, want ons het nie gedink, ons gaan daar die dag sien nie. But I think all in all, a miracle patient for us. Really, um, inspiration of a time that was very difficult for us as healthcare workers, um, she inspired us to say we just need to persist, we just need to carry on, uh, we need to have faith um, and leave it to the almighty healer to, to heal. Dr. Street, God heals. Amen. Thank, Thank you, Jesus. God for godly doctors. Yes. Amen. Amen. So, my journey started a couple of days into ICU because I was totally unaware that I was even taken to hospital or that I was there. 
And I remember waking up the one day with somebody smacking me in my face saying, Mrs. Bag, Mrs. Bag, you better stop breathing or we're going to intubate you. And I just kept shaking my head. No, no, no. And I remember lying there thinking, how did I get you? How did I land up here in ICU? They told me then that I was in ICU and they were treating me. I was on high flow oxygen, which is a, a, a form of moistened, heated moistened oxygen um, through high flow tube, a tube that goes through your nose, um, 16 liters per minute to get to your lungs and open them up for you and help you to breathe. That continuous sound of this, these liters going through is a sound of, it sounds like a steam engine that's going off next to your ear the whole day. There is, ICU is not a pleasant place. <laughs> it's a place where they save lives. And those doctors and nurses and physios work 24-7. I watched them. I was in a bed. I couldn't see people next to me. I could see a person. I could see the bed diagonally across from me. And in the time that I was there, I watched three people come and go. They came and they passed. They were vented and they passed. So no matter what it took, I did not want to go onto that ventilator. It hurt to breathe. And I kept thinking, you know what? When we're born, the first thing they make you do as a baby is breathe. That's the most natural thing in the world, to breathe. And I'm battling to breathe. This is not right. When you're in the ICU, you feel the fear that could take hold. But you have to, it's a mind game. It's a constant, constant mind game. Now, with all those liters of oxygen that was going through me, it burnt all the way up my throat, my mouth, my lips, the inside and the outside. And then I lost my voice. So a little, bit, a little bit was coming out and I squeaked. And I remember still asking the doctors, I need to get out of ICU. I just said to them, I'm dying in ICU. <laughs> I think they must have wanted to laugh at me. I think, Mrs. Pretorius, if, if your husband came home with any more gray hairs, it was because of me, because of the nagging to go home and get out of ICU. Um, there are lights, you need to know, there are lights on permanently in ICU. There's no quiet. There are noises all the time. You don't sleep. I became more and more anxious as I was there. And I couldn't pray because I could hardly speak. I couldn't breathe. They feed you a soft, soft meal because all they want you to do is get something down you. You're not, you're not hungry, you can't smell anything, you can't taste anything, so you don't really care. So they bring you whatever, and you just swallow it down as fast as you can because you need to breathe. Your job there is to breathe. You don't even get your teeth brushed for two weeks because your job is to breathe. 
You have to, if anything that's going to hinder your breathing and, and put your sats down, I'm pointing this way because I remember that's where my machine was. I'd always look back to say, what are my sats? So what are my sats today? Um, because your job is to breathe. The spirit of death roamed in that place, wanting to take hold. So in my head, I would say to myself, I will live and not die. I will live and not die. That's the most I could do. But it was in my head. Until I could say it, the most I could say was I will live and not die. Because that's the most that would come out of me. They kept you busy so that you could keep moving. As Ulrika said, so they would get you out of the bed and move you to a chair, which was just over there. And it felt like you were climbing a mountain and you couldn't breathe. And then they'd ask you to sit in that chair for an hour. And all you want to do is get back in the bed because all you want to actually do when you are that sick is just sleep. Just leave me alone, let me sleep. But if you, if you just slept and they left you alone, you would die. So they keep you moving. They keep you busy. They come into the room. They ask you questions. They talk to you all the time because they're monitoring how you are breathing. Is it getting better? What is going on with you? How are you feeling? Because they also know you're playing a mind game that you've got to get through. You've got to get through this. If you're going to live, you've got to get through this in your head and in your body. That is the biggest place that an attack takes. You must understand that the way the enemy works. Remember Paul told Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Because... This is a powerful statement, but it's also something that we need to work with. If the enemy cannot take your mind, he cannot take you. That's the area that he attacks in. I remember when I was interceding, because I very, very quickly became aware that Janine was not able to confess the word. Just in a few phone calls, I realized that this is going to be a fight of intercession. Now, I would pray for my wife anyway. But God honors intercession. Mm. Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is our substitute. And he became our covenant. And so he places that same authority within us. Is that we have the right and privilege to speak on the behalf of another. God knows. This is something you've got to understand. God is a God of extreme mercy. His greatest desire is to see you saved, to see you delivered, to see you healed. He came up with the idea of healing, not us. That's right. He told us he's the God that blesses, he protects, he provides, he heals. And so when I was praying and going in times of prayer of intercession in my study, the one thing that I realized is the enemy, there's two things. Number one, the spirit of death is trying to take hold of you. That's what Janine was talking about. And then you get that spirit of fear. And then the other one was the spirit of grief. It's ridiculous. Nothing's been decided yet. And yet grief is already trying to take over and trying to get you to plan what will happen if. And that's where you've got to say no. Where Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death. 
And I had to, I had to come back and come against that and stand against it and, and fight it with every step of the way. I remember the first doctor that phoned, uh, that was before Dr. Elmo had taken over. It was just in the early days. And he still called me. I don't even remember who it was. But he said, uh, Mr. Bag, we, we have uh, arranged, we've got Janine's ventilator ready for her. And we're going to need to put her on. And just as we're going to do that, we'll call you and you can bring the family and come say goodbye. I said, Doctor, that is not happening. I am not coming to say goodbye to my wife. She will not need that ventilator in the name of Jesus. Now remember the word says you have what you say. And I, God bless the doctor because he thinks I'm in denial. I can't speak for him. That's what I assume because he said, Mr. Bag, you've got to understand I have a job to do here. And anybody else can give you good news. But if I give you any news, it's going to be the truth. And so if I'm telling you what it is, I need you to know so that you know it's serious. And I realized he thinks I'm trying. I'm not living in denial. There's a difference between denial and faith. I said, Doctor, I understand what you're saying. You do everything you need to do and whatever is required. We will back you up. But I'm yet to tell you I'm doing my job. And that is to declare my wife will not need that ventilator. And so I realized I had to call Janine every day and get her onto, onto video phone because I realized she couldn't confess the word. So I would lead her in confessions. Take her through the word because it's through that living spoken word. The, the word says that Jesus, God sent his word to heal. And to deliver from destruction. So it's the word that heals. Faith comes by? Hearing. Hearing Hearing by the word of God. And it's that faith that is the substance of things hoped for. And so all we got to do is hold on to hope. And I know sometimes, you know, you may hear not any of the the practitioners that are here in this room today because you you heard they're all believers but I've had nursing staff tell me, don't get the patient's hope up now. And I said, that's too late. The hope's already up. Because Abraham hoped against hope. When the world was saying it can't be done, Abraham knew if God had said it, I can stand on his word. And a man over a hundred had a child. So we can agree together on the word of God. And so that's what I would do is every day just call Janine. And she could hardly speak, but I said, you just listen. I'm just going to feed you the word of God and just spoke life, spoke life. And then you have to move into thanksgiving. It's the most difficult thing to do because, as I say, everything in you wants to break. Everything in you wants to break. But the word of God says, if you listen to Hebrews uh, chapter 6 verse 12, to not become sluggish, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. It's standing in faith and staying consistent in the midst of that fear. It's holding up the word of God and the only way to combat fear is Mm. praise. Mm. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. 
The only way to keep your mind protected is in thanksgiving. And that's what we were doing, is giving God thanks, even in the midst of that, just praising God, honoring Him. Colossians 4 verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it, with thanksgiving. And that's where I learned, well, I haven't, it wasn't the first time I learned it, but I, I saw the power of continuously praising God, no matter what came, what bad news came, is just to keep praising, just keep Praising God, knowing He's answered that prayer. Yeah, what came through very, very strongly for me in, in my spiritual walk is that God promised He would never leave us nor forsake us. That's right. And at a, in a time when you cannot even pray, when you can't even open your mouth, He is there. He is praying for you. He has never left us. He never left me, not for a minute. He walked right through that journey of my hospital journey, right through this COVID journey, from the beginning to the end with me. Because I couldn't even pray for myself. He was there. Amen. Amen. I did become anxious. I had hallucinations, very weird hallucinations. The one gentleman that came in, I can picture what he looked like. And he was, he was sitting up and he, he was doing all the things that I was told to do. He was doing the exercises. He ate his meal the one day. Um, he was doing everything he was supposed to do. But the weird thing was I heard his whole family there. I heard his daughters speak to him. I heard his kids go outside. Which, so none of this happened because it wasn't allowed. I heard them talk about their father. I heard his wife speak to the nurses about him. I saw his one daughter standing at, his head, at the head of his bed. None of that happened. I heard it clearly. I, saw, I heard children running around the ICU. That never happened. And I woke up the one morning and that gentleman was gone. And I asked where he was and they said he didn't make it through the night. And that is enough to bring so much fear into you because I watched him do the things I was doing. And he looked fine from one day to the next. So you had to hold on to hope. Hold on to God. Know that your thoughts are centered around him because your, your, your words are not. Because you were unable to speak. Just breathe. But God was there. Um, knowing that I had so many people, my husband, my children, my spiritual family, praying for me brought a lot of peace to my heart. I remember so many people SMSing me, but I was so weak that I couldn't, just to send an SMS was exhausting. So I want to say thank you now mm. for all the praise that went out for me and everything that so many of you did for my family as well while I was in hospital. And I that's really appreciate where I really it. Say, I thank God I was saved into a household of faith. Amen. I thank God that I have pastors, Apostle Theo and Dr. Beverly Wormerans, who taught the word of faith without compromise, that we could be a household of faith. And I thank God that He called us to plant this church. 
and have a family like you because the amount of support mm. that came forth, knowing that the multitudes, all of you were praying and interceding. And I want to say thank you. I want to say how much we appreciate it. That's right. And we just give you so much thanks because we know that God is a God that answers prayer. And he said, if any two agree touching anything, That's right. it will be done for them. Mm. And yeah, we were thousands praying That's together. Right. Amen. And so, you know, let's just give God praise Thank for his Jesus. word. Thank God that we Thank have Jesus. the word of faith, That's right. that we can stand firm in that word. Amen. So, all my physios are here as well. And they were often a shoulder to cry on. They became friends and people to talk to. And I thank you, thank you girls for pushing, making me do the job, making me do what I needed to do. I love you all. Um, at, in the evenings, they would put in ICU something called a CPAP, which to me, in my hallucinatory mind, felt like an octopus that sucked itself onto your face. <laughs> it is extremely claustrophobic. And you had to talk yourself through, once they put this thing on your face, talk yourself, just, just breathe, just breathe. Just calm down, just breathe. You need this thing. Because that thing would help you at night. If you stopped breathing, it would help kick in to help you breathe. So that was put, sucked onto your face at night. However, because everything had burnt, I was very dry and I needed water almost every 10 minutes. So I think for that time, I was the, about the only person in ICU that wasn't on a ventilator, am I right? Um, but I would be calling the nurses every 10 minutes to say, please can I have some water? I think they really wanted me to get out of there. I think they also prayed really hard. <laughs> Because I had to call them every 10 minutes because they had to take it off, give me water, put it back on again. And then you say, no, it's not comfortable. Put this, change, do this. And then they'd fix it for you. They were so patient. They were so caring. And they were working 24-7. The hospital was packed. The doctors, you need to understand, the doctors that worked there never went home. God bless they them. never saw their families. Some of them slept at the hospital. So as much as I was there, I, I remember talking to myself and saying, you are here over Christmas and New Year, shame. You can't feel sorry for yourself. So are they. They were there, walking that road with you 100% of the time. So one morning I woke up and my phone has an app that, well, I think most phones do today, but I used another app. And it puts the phone on silent, but then I have what they call a whitelist. So only the phone numbers you want to ring through, ring through. And Janine, obviously, is on that whitelist. I woke up one morning, and there was a phone call from her, like 5 a.m. in the morning. And for some reason, it didn't come through. Because in ICU, they wake you up at 4 o'clock to take your blood test. So I see this call, 5 a.m. in the morning. Now, remember... How does the enemy work? First thought. What is she phoning me this time in the morning? I, I, mean, I had to phone her every day. 
Now, five o'clock, I'm getting a call. I couldn't get hold of her. I phoned and I couldn't get hold of her. I phoned the reception. They weren't answering. I just couldn't get through. Eventually, I found somebody and they said, no, her phone is now being charged. That's why I couldn't get hold of her. Now, of course, now my mind's racing. Like, what is going on? I have to stay in faith now. There's no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So eventually, I get hold of Janine. Now, I want to find out what happened. Why did you call so early in the morning? I'm, I'm still going to answer questions. And as she answers, she goes, get me out of ICU now. And I, adult, just hang on now. What, what are you talking about? I cannot stay one more hour in this place. There's death in this room. I am not staying in death. I'm living. <laughs> I thought, this woman is now on her way out. Yeah, this, is, this is now more than she's ever said for a long time. So I'm saying, now, now darling, let's first find out what the doctor says. I don't care what the doctor says. I'm going out today. I said, no, we're going to work with the doctors. Yeah. So I got a hold of Dr. Renzo and Dr. Elmo. And listen, here's the thing. Because the beds are so scarce, the moment you move out, another person comes in. And if you need to go back to ICU, now there's no more bed there. You understand? We gotta make sure that you're well. So eventually I got a hold of Dr. Alma and we had this, this very heart to heart chat. And he's saying, listen, we need to work together as a team here because uh, Janine's inflammatory markers are still very high and we don't wanna take a chance. I said, doctor, I'm with you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm backing but you up. She's here. not. <laughs> we are standing. I'm standing in faith, but you got to also walk in wisdom. And I said, I agree with you. Let's we fight this thing. So I said, so on what basis will she move? And he said, well, the markers need to be below a certain limit. Then I'll be prepared to release her. I said, well, then let's agree that that's going to happen because she wants to really move. So I got a hold of her and said, darling, now. This is what Behave. the doctor says. He said, let's work together. So she reluctantly said, okay. But praise God, within 24 hours, she was, her stats dropped and she was able to move and went to high care. It was 24 hours? Yeah, about that. And so she was moved over to high care. Yes. And praise God, the journey began home. Oh, that was, it helped my sanity. I could sleep. I think for the first night, there was darkness. There was no noise. Um, it was two of us in there and two sisters, and I was okay. And I thought, right, I can work with this so much better. I had a window. I could see life. And it just started to get better and better and better from there. And I remember Dr. Alma saying to me, there's a sister Grace from your church and she's asked you to be moved to her ward because she wants to take care of you. Sister Grace is here tonight. Sister Grace, wave your hands. Where are you? She asked Dr. Alma to please send me to her ward because she wanted to take care of me. What a blessing. Yeah. And that warmed my heart. And from there I was moved to another ward where it just got better. I had another window. I was alone, um, but it was busy. And then Dr. Alma said, I'm moving you to a better place. And he insisted. 
and he put me in a beautiful room with a large window, even though I had that much pipe to move, I was attached to it in the bed. That was my oxygen. And that is when I think the nagging really started. Can I go home? I'm feeling fine. What are my sats like? No, you can't go home. Your oxygen's way too high. You need to just relax. Keep on with the physio, keep, because I couldn't even get out of the bed. I could get out of the bed, swivel onto a chair, and swivel back into the bed. So my muscle mass dropped within two weeks. Could hardly balance on my legs or use my arms. So from there, it just got stronger and better and better and better. There was one incident that I had where my phone went flat, my iPad went flat, because your, your mind is not thinking. I, I still remember plugging my earphones into my iPad with the wrong connection. It still worked, I don't know how. But <laughs> you, you're very fuzzy. But anyway, um, and so everything went flat. And I couldn't get anything charged. And I phoned Adam and I said, my charger is broken. <laughs> you become a little self-centered because you really, it's just you and your thoughts. So to be on this iPad, I was actually able to not think of where I was, because you, you're all alone. It's a bit of a lonely journey. And he said to me, your, 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 your charger must work. We don't have another charger. I said, no, I need a charger. I need a charger now. And then <laughs> I got hold of the sisters and I said, can you please get me somebody from the technical department? I need somebody to come into my room. They need to come and fix this charger. She said, Mrs. Back, we understand. I said, I don't think you understand. I'm staring at the ceiling. You're out there with your friends. I said to her, I got a bit cheeky. Like Sister Kritzinger said, there's a bicky hard copper. And I'm sitting here in this room all on my own. My, nothing is charged. I can't even use my phone. Okay. Calm down. And everything came right. There was nothing wrong with my charger. Everything was good. So... I managed to get through that whole situation. And eventually, Dr. Elmo came with the good news that he was happy to let me go. I think, am I correct in saying it was eight liters of, six liters, six liters of oxygen. I could go home. Yay. I used to lie in that bed in the hospital and put up my hand and close my eyes and I could literally feel my bed at home. That's what I wanted. I missed my family and my husband uh, until my heart was sore. And especially my little Noah. This was a month later. So four weeks later, I got to go home via ambulance because I was still connected to oxygen. So they got me home, and they had to carry me up the stairs, got to see my family, but then the journey started. So, Dr. Alma, I understand, and I thank you for your patience with me, and for telling me no when I wanted to, because 
the hard work started when I got home. I couldn't do a thing for myself. I had to sit on the edge of the bed and Michaela had to bring me a bowl so that I could brush my teeth. I couldn't walk from my bed to my bathroom. My husband had to take me to the bathroom and take me back to bed. Um, they had to do everything for me. My, my housekeeper, Rumbi, I know she's here as well. My other angel that helped me so much. Her, my husband, my children. I couldn't have got through any of it without of them, without, without them. Because I couldn't do anything for myself. Our bedrooms are all upstairs. Everything, our living is downstairs on another level. I couldn't go down there. Then I had Bianca, physio, come twice a week. I had Dr. Renzo come to my home. I remember him walking in the, into my bedroom door the first day and standing at my door and looking at me and he burst into tears because he actually thought I wasn't going to make it. And he couldn't believe that he saw me sitting on my bed. At one stage, a few weeks later, he kept, he kept coming to do all my, my sats and uh, measurements and he said to me, did you actually have COVID? <laughs> you are doing so well. God. A miracle. God did it all. Because family, you need to understand, when I went, I was told this, when I went into hospital, my sats were low. My saturation levels of, 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 of um, being able to breathe and receive oxygen into my lungs were very low. My kidneys were failing. My, um, um, which levels? The words. Um, infection levels were very high. So all of that had to come down. And that's, that's why they do the blood test in the morning. That's why they monitor you at all times. And when, we, when I got home, we still had to take my SATs every day. If I moved, I had to take my SATs to make sure that I stayed above, in your, with your breathing, above 90 and not let it drop. So with Bianca, she made me walk. She made me do exercises. And eventually, we did this, the stairs up and down. And I had my little blue oxygen machine that was always with me uh, wherever I went. It eventually moved from upstairs to downstairs. We had a, we had a system of how to move the, the machine up and down. And the pipe went up and the pipe went down. Even Noah knew. And one day, Noah decided he's going to go switch it off. <laughs> he thought, there's a button. I can push it. <laughs> And my anxiety in my head, I could not imagine having to go to sleep one night, and I knew it had to come, without any oxygen machine. That almost terrified me. And I, Bianca talked me through it. And she'd say, you're going to come down slowly. We're going to wean you off this oxygen slowly. And if you need to go up, we'll put you back on. And if you need to stay with it in bed while you're sleeping, we'll put you back on. 
It's not going anywhere. So the one day my husband came into the room and he said to me, so, you're breathing okay? I said, what did you do? He thought he'd be cute and turn the oxygen down on his own. I said, no, no, no. And you could breathe. <laughs> <laughs> See, what we're doing is working with Bianca is every now and then we turn down half, half a liter a yes. minute. So we're going from six, five and a half, five, four and a half, four. Eventually we got to, I think it was about three or three and a half, somewhere mm. there. And I'm thinking, you know, if I, if I feel the pipe, there's oxygen coming through, but you're still able to breathe. So I understand she does need oxygen. But we got right down to one bar, okay? <laughs> one liter a minute. So I said, well, let's see if she needs that liter. <laughs> so I just turned it off. Left her for a while, went back in, and she's lying there, she's fine. <laughs> said, no, no, well, no. How are you enjoying your oxygen? We're going to play this game together. Okay? Listen, there's 21% oxygen in the air. <laughs> <laughs> At one liter a minute, that's hardly even a flow, isn't it? So, when I got I mean, down to half a liter, half a liter, he said to me, do you realize that it's like, <laughs> that's all you're getting. <laughs> you might as well put it down. So we, the one day we did, and on the, I think I've got the date. Um, I wrote it down. On the 3rd of March was my first day with no oxygen. Amen. And on the 5th of March, I slept without oxygen. Praise God. And I survived. <laughs> on the 9th of March, Bianca took me for a walk in our estate, and she took a chair, a camping chair with, because she thought I'd need to stop and breathe. I made it all the way down the hill and up the hill. There you go. And then she came home with me and she said, I think my job is done here today. Praise God. So, then I knew everybody in my family, they are CrossFitters, and here sits my coach, who was also on my back, waiting for me to go back. It's a very daunting thought when you couldn't breathe to think now I'm going to have to go back to any, any form of exercise whatsoever. So, Pazan came with me. And Aubrey was incredibly patient and calm with me. And we started very slowly at 15 minutes a session. That was it. That's about all I could handle. And for the rest of that day I could go home and sleep. Even now. <laughs> no <laughs> joke. <laughs> and we have, yeah, we have video footage. When Pastor Janine recovered from COVID, she came back to training. It was about two, two to three months after she recovered. And I remember that Pastor Alan joined her in the first session. Uh, previously, we used to train 60-minute sessions three times a week. Having her first session, we trained about 15 minutes, no more. And her first session, I remember she was quite nervous. Uh, we probably spent no more than five minutes of just stretching and doing some flexibility. She was on a rower for one minute. She didn't row more than, say, three or four hundred meters. 
Um, we couldn't do more than 15 minutes of exercise. And then within about three months, the intensity of her movements and her workout increased from 15 minutes to one hour. You know, it's incredible to see her improvement, having not been able to row more than two to 300 meters and having to, to take a break, or maybe just to do five squats with her body weight. Now doing one to two kilometers of rowing, uh, squatting, doing 30 to 40 repetitions of squat, deadlifting weights that, you know, half her body weight. It's incredible to see the improvement and having her back at gym three times a week, one hour a day. You know, she's been spending time on all the equipment, on the bikes for like half an hour. She's doing burpees, she's doing uh, versions of pull-ups, squats, deadlifts. It's really absolute working progress and a miracle to see what God's done in her life. And we are just grateful to become, or to have been part of this journey to play our role and to walk in the fullness of what we call to, to you know, be a blessing to her because we know that she's a great blessing to us and her testimony is going to bless so many more people um, going forward. Come on, let's give Jesus, you, Jesus. all the praise. Thank Amen. Thank you, Lord. I just want to say this. Family, no matter what, what circumstances you are in, never, never give up. Never give up. That is it. Listen to the word of God. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. Listen to the wording. If you understand yourself, and this may be new to somebody hearing it for the first time, we think of this, me, this is Alan. This is a body I'm living in. I am a spirit. The day will come I'll step out this body, this body will stay on the earth, but we will keep living. You are the spirit living in a body. The body can be challenged with sickness and disease, but your spirit, you are healed. We mustn't see ourselves as sick people trying to get healed. We are healed people resisting sickness. It's trying to take hold, but we can stand against it. And he says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, when evening had come, they brought to Jesus many who were demon-possessed. He cast out the spirits with a word. How did he do it? With a word. And he healed how many? All who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities, and he bore our sicknesses. So if he bore it, I don't have to. And we can come against it. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Have you believed Jesus died for your sin? Are you born again, a child of God? You believe that? In the same breath, on the same cross, 
Jesus paid for your healing. And that's what we stood on. You've heard me say it many times before, and I'll say it again and again. I said to God, if you didn't want me to believe something, you shouldn't have put it in the book. Because if he put it in the book, I dared to believe it. And by believing it and standing firm on his word, not buckling, never ever saying anything contrary, but always agreeing with his word, by his stripes, you are healed. And so today we're going to share communion. If you've got your communion emblems with you, this is in honor of what Jesus did on the cross. Now, once we share communion, we're going to play a song that while we were busy interceding, I was busy praying and worshiping God. I just put a CD on, uh, you know, on my phone, but playing it. And the song came up from City Point. And... In my heart, at that moment, I thought this song was written just for Janine. But it's true, it was written for anybody that would want to hear it. And you realize when Janine was on oxygen, that was natural oxygen. That helped her body heal. And you heard from both doctors that doctors treat us, God is the healer. And that He is our breath. Our physical body needs physical oxygen that allows the body to repair. But the true life comes from within the spirit. His words are spirit and they're life. They're life to those who find them and health to their flesh. And if we learn to breathe that life of God from within, that healing manifests in the body. So Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And as often as you eat it, remember me. And so Jesus tonight, it is in honor of you. Janine sits here and many others of us in this room in recognition of what you did on the cross. Through your wounds, your broken body, we are healed. And we remember that as we partake. That same night, he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood a new and a better covenant for when that blood flowed your salvation was paid for your healing was settled everything God desires for you is yours today and Jesus we thank you for the precious gift of your life and tonight we remember we raise this cup in honor of your covenant. For it is by your covenant of blood that we could stand in agreement with your word, that you're not a man, that you would lie, that you would watch over your word to perform it, and that you would cause your word to come to pass as you follow it 
with signs and wonders, miracles to confirm it. And we receive that. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Let's remember.